0: Text for this morning's sermon is Exodus 3, the verses 13 to 15. We'll read those verses again. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we witnessed the baptism of one of our covenant children, Hayden Tote. I preach the gospel to you from Acts 2, verse 39, where Peter said, For the promise is to you and to your children. What Peter makes clear is that God's promises of the forgiveness of sins and that the gift of the Spirit are for all God's people. And who are God's people? Peter makes clear that the true children of Abraham include all who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Yet Peter did not deal with those who repented and believed as individuals. He made it clear that God's promises were for them and for their children. Now we might ask, How do we know that God will keep his promises? We live in an increasingly ungodly society. And our children and young people are facing pressure to conform to the ways of this world. And temptations to walk in the ways of sin. Many of us have children or siblings or parents who have wandered and strayed from the Lord's ways. This morning we will witness the baptism of Eli John Kewick. We'll hear our God make glorious promises to Eli, promising that he will adopt him as his child, that he will wash away his sins in Christ's blood, and live in him by the Spirit. Can we count on God to keep these promises? To deal with this question, we go back to Exodus 3, where the Lord reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush. God has a job for Moses to do. He wants Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt to the Promised Land. But Moses is not all that sure about this commission. The Israelites were slaves under Pharaoh the ruler of one of the most powerful nations on earth at that time. How was Moses supposed to deliver them from Pharaoh's hand? Moses felt completely unsuited for this task. He was 80 years old. He did not consider himself a good speaker or leader. The biggest problem, the biggest question Moses faced was, how could he be sure God would indeed deliver his people from the mighty Pharaoh. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? In response, the Lord revealed himself by his covenant name. I am who I am. It's by means of this name that the Lord makes clear his covenant faithfulness to his people. It's by learning to know God as our faithful covenant God that we learn to put our trust in all his gracious promises. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. God reveals himself to Moses as, I am who I am, our faithful covenant God who always keeps his promises. We'll consider how God showed his faithfulness to Israel How God showed his faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And how God shows his faithfulness to us. In the Bible, God reveals himself to us as Yahweh. In most English translations, it is spelled Lord in capital letters. The name Yahweh means I am. It's a short form for how God made himself known to Moses at the burning bush. There the Lord told Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God added, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. By revealing himself as I am who I am, God showed that he was different from the Egyptian gods Moses had grown up hearing about. God is not just another God. In the pantheon of God served by the heathen nations, by means of his name, he reveals his unique character and mission. Think about the name, I Am. This name speaks about God's eternity about the fact that he always was and he always will be. It makes clear that God is dependent on no one and nothing. In his name, the Lord does away with the idea that God can be whoever we want him to be. The tendency of our sinful human hearts is to make God into someone who suits our personal preferences. But God did not say I am who you want me to be. He said, I am who I am. It shows Yahweh is a God to be reckoned with. There are certain aspects of God's character that will likely make you uncomfortable. But the fact that God doesn't fit all our preconceived notions shows He is truly God. By making known his personal name, God reveals himself as a personal God. The gods in the ancient world were impersonal deities. Most of them were little more than personifications of natural forces. Thus, you had a sun god and a rain god and gods that represented various animals. And you had all the fertility gods. The people who worship such gods were constantly trying to appease them with sacrifices. But they didn't have a relationship with their gods. There was no communication. That is very different with, I am who I am. For the Lord enters into a covenant relationship with his people. He makes promises to them and he requires things of them. In Exodus 3, the Lord makes it very clear that he has not changed. He remembers his promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob more than 400 years earlier. During that time, Jacob's descendants have become slaves in Egypt. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to the promised land. What the Lord is saying is that he is Israel's faithful covenant God. By his name, I am who I am. The Lord is saying, I am still the same. I have not changed. I am the God of your fathers, and I have not forgotten my covenant with them and with you, their children. Thus we see that God's name, I am who I am, makes clear that he is reliable, faithful. The unchanging God who keeps his promises throughout the generations. Just as Yahweh was God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so he would be God to his people. When they were in bondage as slaves of Egypt, he promised to deliver them and to give them the promised land. It was difficult for the Israelites to come to terms with God's revelation of himself to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses went to Pharaoh and told him that Yahweh said, let my people go, Pharaoh responded, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Instead, Pharaoh increased the workload of the Israelite slaves, making them gather their own straw to make bricks and whipping them when they couldn't keep up. This did not give the Israelites a good impression of Yahweh. To them it seemed like he promised much, but delivered little. Again, Yahweh promises to deliver his people. In Exodus 6, verse 3, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name... Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. He says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know him by his name, Yahweh. But beloved, that does not fit with what Genesis tells us. In Genesis 15, verse 7, the Lord said to Abraham, I am Yahweh, who brought you out from Ur the Chaldeans. Genesis 21, 23 says that Abraham called upon the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. In the same way, Isaac and Jacob knew God as Yahweh, the great I Am. Genesis 25, 21 tells us, Isaac prayed to Yahweh for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The Lord revealed himself to Jacob in a dream at Bethel. He said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. In response to the Lord's gracious promises in the dream, Jacob made a vow to the Lord. He said, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so I come again to my father's house in peace, then Yahweh shall be my God. So why does the Lord say to Moses that he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but did not make himself known to them by his name Yahweh? The point that the Lord wants to make clear is that he's going to reveal himself further. God's revelation of himself did not all happen at once. Throughout the generations, God revealed more and more about himself and his character and his wondrous works. God will cause Moses and the Israelites to know the meaning of the name Yahweh to an extent that was not known before. How will this happen? The Lord promises to come to deliverance of his people, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Do you remember how Yahweh delivered his people from slavery in Egypt? God brought various plagues against the land, changing the water into blood, bringing swarms of frogs into the land, causing gnats to come forth on man and beast. These first plagues were more of a nuisance, a bother, than anything else. Yet God hardened Pharaoh's heart, so he refused to let God's people go. Thus, the Lord brought increasingly severe plagues upon the Egyptians, sending flies, killing the Egyptian livestock, and sending boils on man and beast. We need to understand, beloved, that each of the plagues was an attack against one of the Egyptian gods. Yahweh showed that he was Lord and King over all, that all other gods were powerless before him. The Lord tells Moses to say to Pharaoh that if he did not repent and let God's people go, Yahweh would send even more severe plagues on the Egyptians so that you may know that there is none like me on all the earth. Yahweh caused very heavy rain to fall. Very heavy hail to fall, destroying every plant and tree, killing everything in the field. He sent destroying locusts throughout the land to eat whatever greenery was left. He sent pitch darkness on the land for three days, which was a direct attack against the most powerful Egyptian god, Ra, the sun god. And finally, in retaliation for Pharaoh killing many of the baby boys by drowning them in the Nile, Yahweh sent a destroying angel to kill all the firstborn in Egypt. You see, beloved, how I am who I am revealed himself in a way that was not known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The patriarchs experienced God's gracious care in their lives. They saw how at times the Lord delivered them from their enemies. But they never learned to know Yahweh as the all-powerful God, highly exalted above all other gods. Israel got a taste of Yahweh's constant faithfulness and abiding love. They experienced that the Lord is good that he remembers his covenant and keeps his promises. In his name, I am who I am. The Lord showed forth his faithfulness to Israel. They learned that even though they were in a state of abject slavery, harshly oppressed by cruel taskmasters, Yahweh was faithful and true. We may know the Lord as a God who remembered his promises, made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He showed his mighty hand and outstretched arm in the powerful signs and wonders by which he delivered his people from Egypt. Yahweh showed himself to be a reliable, a dependable God, someone in whom we can put our trust, a God who is faithful To his promises. This brings us to our second point. How God showed his faithfulness in Jesus Christ. God's revelation of himself did not end in the old covenant. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son." God made himself known in an even greater and more glorious way in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ that God revealed the way of salvation that he had ordained from before this world was made. It's in Jesus Christ that God shows forth his love and his faithfulness. For God was willing to send his dearly beloved son into this world so that Jesus could offer up his life to pay for all our sins. It is striking that as as Yahweh revealed himself as I am who I am, so Jesus Christ also revealed himself as the great I am. This comes out in a special way in John's Gospel. John records how Jesus made seven metaphorical I am statements during his ministry. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. In these statements, Jesus uses metaphors. He compares himself to various things. Literally speaking, Jesus is not bread or a vine. Yet by means of these statements, Jesus makes claims to show his people who he really was. In claiming to be the bread of life, Jesus teaches that just as physical bread sustains our physical life, so we can find true life by partaking in him. In claiming to be the door, Jesus makes clear that entrance into everlasting life is only through Him. In claiming to be the true vine, Jesus teaches us that it's necessary to abide in Him, to share in the life He gives. Yet, shining through all these statements is the claim I am. For the Jewish people who knew God as, I am who I am, Jesus was making an an implicit claim through his I am statements. He was claiming to be divine, to be God. Many of the Jews were scandalized by this. How could Jesus, whose father and mother they knew, be claiming God as his Father How is it possible for him to take this divine name on himself? There are a number of occasions in John's Gospel where Jesus goes even further than the seven metaphorical I am statements I just mentioned. I want to examine two of them with you. The first is from the passage we read together at the end of John 8. In John 8, the Jewish leaders questioned Jesus about where his authority comes from, and they dispute his claim that God is his father. The Jewish leaders claim that Abraham is their father, but Jesus points out that they do not do the works of Abraham. Instead of believing him, they follow the desires of their father, the devil, in trying to kill Jesus. In the midst of this dispute... Jesus contrasts Abraham's faith with a Jewish leader's lack of faith. In John 8, verse 56, Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What does Jesus mean by this statement? We know that Abraham and Sarah did not receive a child for many years. When God promised Abraham a son through Sarah, he rejoiced greatly. When the happy day arrived, they called their son Isaac, which means laughter. The birth of this son meant everything to Abraham. For God's promises to make him into a great nation and to bless all the families of the earth through him could only come to fulfillment through Isaac. It is this hope that sustained Abraham when God commanded him to offer Isaac, his only son, on the altar. Abraham was thoroughly convinced that death would not have the last word, but that God, if necessary, would raise Isaac back to life. Now Hebrews 11 verse 13 tells us, Abraham died "...in faith, not having received the fulfillment of the promises, but having greeted them from afar." That's what Jesus means when he says in John 8, verse 56, "...that Abraham saw the day of Christ and rejoiced." Yet the Jewish leaders did not understand what Jesus meant. With their earthly and literal minds... They could not figure out how there could ever have been any contact between Abraham and Jesus. The idea of seeing and greeting from afar by faith was not something they understood. And so they challenged Jesus. They said, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus replies, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is identifying himself as God. The Jewish leaders understood this clearly. They considered this to be blasphemy. And thus they took up stones to stone him to death. But Jesus hid himself... And went away. Something similar happens in John 18. Judas Iscariot has agreed to betray Jesus. He leads a band of soldiers, along with officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, into the Garden of Gethsemane to a place where Jesus often met with his disciples. They came with lanterns and torches and weapons. Their intent was to arrest Jesus and to bring him to trial. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. In reply, Jesus stated, I am. Many of our translations translate, I am he. But the Greek literally says, I am. This was more than just Jesus agreeing that he was Jesus of Nazareth, the man for whom they were looking. It's a statement about who Jesus is. He is the great I am. He is God. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And that's so obvious from what happens next. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Imagine this band of soldiers and officers. They were competent men sent on a mission to arrest Jesus. Their hands were filled with lanterns and with torches and with swords and spears. Crash. Bang. They all tumble to the ground. And you know why? Why? Because they encountered the living God of heaven and earth. Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a similar way, in Revelation 22 verse 13, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The beginning and the end. These are other ways of of stating that Jesus is the great I am. It speaks of his identity, that Jesus Christ is true and eternal God. It speaks to his character, that Jesus is faithful and true, that he came to save us from our sins in accordance with God's promises. That he is the one in whom we can put our faith and trust. This brings us to our final point. You know, we'll see how God shows His faithfulness to us. We began this sermon by asking the question, How do we know that God will keep His promises to us? Can we count on God being faithful to the promises that He makes to our children? at their baptisms. By revealing his name, I am who I am. God has shown us that he is our faithful covenant God who keeps his promises throughout the generations. He kept his promises to Abraham to give his descendants the land of Canaan as their inheritance, even though he had to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. He kept his promise to send the Messiah, through whom all nations would be blessed. Scripture testifies to God's love and His faithfulness toward His people. God signifies His wonderful promises to us in baptism. It is a visible pledge that God will fulfill His covenant promises to those who put their faith in Him. It's as if God himself speaks from heaven, saying, I am the Lord your God, and you are my child. Through baptism, God grants us the assurance of his grace. He embraces believing parents and their children, confirming his love and his faithfulness to them. And what does God require in response? He calls us, to believe his promises, and to live out of them. As they grow up, children need to come to know God as he has revealed himself in his word. They need to learn to know God as a personal God who has established a covenant with them, who loves them, who has made awesome promises to them. They need to learn to know God as the living God of heaven and earth, Who is able to do what he has said. They need to know God and Jesus Christ. Who loved them so much. He gave up his life for them. As a God who not only promises. That we may share in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But who grants these gifts. To all who believe in him. And what about those Who do not believe in the Lord, who do not embrace God's promises in faith? How do we deal with the situation where we have loved ones who wander and who stray from God's ways? Do we disown them? Sometimes it hurts so much to see loved ones stray that it's hard for us to maintain contact with them. Sometimes we can get to the point where we feel like giving up on them. We may not even pray for them regularly anymore. But, beloved, if we respond in that kind of way, are we not doubting God's covenant faithfulness? We read together this morning from one of Paul's Trustworthy sayings from his letters to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul points out the faithfulness of our God. Although God's people may have to suffer under many afflictions, God does not forget about them. His promises are sure. God will bestow his blessings on all who live for him and who endure hardship for the sake of Christ. This passage promises that all who are loyal to Christ and remain steadfast in the face of suffering will receive a reward from God. In this passage, Paul utters a solemn warning, but he also shares a comforting assurance. He warns that if we deny Christ, he will also deny us. Paul here repeats what Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Jesus said, So whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see, beloved, life, joy, and peace, they're found in Christ alone. We need to believe in him as our Savior and Lord. We need to be willing to confess him as such. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are lost. Yet, beloved, we know how weak and faithless we can be in our service of God. There are so many times and situations where we do not put Jesus first in our lives. Times when we do what we want instead of what God commands times when we fall into temptation and into sin, times when we struggle with our faith, times when we doubt God's promises are really for me. And that's why the final words from 2 Timothy 2 that we read together provide so much comfort and assurance. Paul says, If we are faithless, he, that's God, remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. The point Paul is making is that while we at times can wander and stray from God's service, God is committed to his people. He will hold fast those who are his. God does not change. If God has chosen you as his son or daughter, and he has brought you to faith in Christ, he will not let you go. He is almighty God able to protect and to preserve those who are his he will keep the promises he has made to us for god is true he is faithful you can count on him you can entrust your life to his safekeeping beloved never doubt either the power or the faithfulness of our god His promises stand firm, even though at times we and our children may not live out of them. If you have straying loved ones who have received God's covenant promises at their baptism, pray to God on the basis of these promises. Petition the throne of grace that God may be faithful even when we are faithless. Beloved, don't give up. We have seen different examples in our midst of members who strayed from the faith even for decades, and yet who in the end repented of their sins and turned to the Lord and to his grace. Our God is faithful. May the baptism of Eli John Kewick remind and assure us of that. Amen.